everyone welcome into another episode of the mls bench podcast i am joey with me today to break down a jam-packed weekend of mls action is andres uh a bunch of games to touch on some crazy score lines uh some uh top team matchups and one or two blowouts in there as well uh so andres i guess we'll just kick it off um with the friday night game that we uh touched on last weekend that we uh or last week rather had some uh, debate over, you know, why I put it at 11 p.m. Eastern time. But it, especially the first half lived up to the hype if you stayed up uh, for it. Um, final score uh, was LAFC 2, Seattle Sounders 1. Um, notably, Gareth Bale had his home debut. But besides that, a pretty, you know, standard game. LAFC, I think the better side in this one over the course of the 90 minutes. But, you know, Sounders also had some good stretches in there. So I'll throw it to you, Andres. How are you doing? And um, what did you see in this game? Thanks, Joey. Yeah, man, I'm doing doing well. There's a lot to talk about. Lots of wild games over the weekend. Um, this one, not as wild. Certainly better than the, than the matchup of a few weeks ago, which was the 1-1 draw. I thought this was a better game uh, overall. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think LAFC probably better over the course of the game. Um, the Sounders weren't particularly bad, um, especially early on. Um, and I thought, you know, it was interesting to see Roldan kind of take on Giorgio Chiellini on the on the play that led to the to the own goal. Um, and then we saw a lot of good stuff from from LAFC, uh, basically from minute 15 through halftime. Um, they get the two goals in there. They also had the one that gets called back from from the handball with Vela. Um, and then, you know, the second half, I thought LAFC kind of struggled to hold on. Like it wasn't it wasn't dominant. It wasn't super authoritative the way that they finished out the game. I thought um, it's not like the Sounders were knocking on the door, but LAFC didn't really run away from them either. So it was maybe you know let's let's call it a, a stagnant or. A, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, where where the two sides kind of canceled each other out throughout the second half? Stalemate. Stalemate. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Um, over the second half, and, and LAFC was able to hang on, even if it wasn't maybe their best performance um, of the season. So, yeah, overall, I think you see how, how good they can be. I think you saw it with stretches. I thought Opoku was really good, um, be, even besides the goal. Um, and they hang on for, for another three points and to extend that supporter shield lead. Yeah, uh, basically agreeing with everything you said, really after that own goal, um, where Rodon, or, or, yeah, sorry, Rodon put in some nice individual work um, on Chiellini and then forced the own goal from Murillo. It was really LAFC for the rest of the half, and that was what put them over the top. I, that ball by Sefuentes to Vela was absolutely beautiful unfortunate that had to get called back right call i think in the end a poku's goal was nice you know gave him a little space at the top of the box but uh young Ghanaian, uh just punished them uh beautiful strike in the corner and then Vela doing the things that he does uh finally Sefuentes gets that assist um and that was really all she wrote for the game i agree that you know, LAFC had some problems closing Seattle out. I think in large part, the reason why Seattle didn't have more chances and more opportunities is because I think just think that Ra- the rivalry Diaz difference is just, you know, so clear in a game like this. Um, 
where you know Seattle has some of those opportunities um, in and around the box, but just doesn't make the most of them. I think um, what, what's the stat? Yeah, eleven shots for Seattle, um, all off target. Uh, and I I saw some stuff on Twitter saying like you know shots on target is an under is an overrated stat, and I agree with that. But I mean, at the end of the day, they were just bad shots um, from Seattle, and so yeah, just not making LAFC pay in the moments where they could. Uh, I, I am interested in getting your feelings on a Poku uh, starting over the likes of uh, Brian Rodriguez um, and uh, Masovsky just got traded. So I'm, I'm not sure if he was held out due to that reason. But, you know, what are your feelings on the youngster? And, you know, do you think that, you know, this goal can, I guess, put him to bigger and better things as we move into the back half of the season? And even more interesting than the starting, I thought, was when Bale comes on around the hour mark. He comes on for Orongo, and they keep Opoku in um, for another, I guess, 10, 15 minutes until, uh, it's about 10 minutes, until Rodriguez comes back into the into the fold, and that's when Opoku comes out. So he wasn't he wasn't the first sub out. Um, and I think it's it's interesting because I, he's definitely the the least known of that of that group between Arango, Rodriguez, Bale, um, but he seems to be as if not as productive, if not the most productive, he's he's pretty close to as productive as pretty much everybody else on that front three. Um, and I thought he was really he played really well. It, it wasn't like I said the goal was really well taken, but also um, you know some of the movement in and around the box. Um, he can put the the defense under pressure. Um, and with the inconsistency that, that we've seen from from Brian Rodriguez, um, and with them bringing Bale on, I'm not surprised he's starting. I wonder, um, you know, when you have uh, a Bale that's fully integrated into the team, uh, if he may, maybe at that point loses some of those minutes. But like I said, he, you know, they take out, they bring Bale in, and they t- they take out Arango um, rather than Apoku. So I think. You know, it shows that Steve Chirondolo really likes what he sees from him. And I liked what I saw from him. Very, very lively. Him and Vela. Vela had one of the best performances I've seen from him in a while. Um, between the goals and just the movement and the passing. Um, it was a really, really good game from him. Um, when, when they needed it. Because, uh, you know, the entire team, I feel was just a little bit uneasy in this game for one reason or another, really outside of that dominant stretch from LAFC. And so, yeah, they need his leadership in this one. I think that, you know, the thing that was maybe most striking for me in this game is just looking at LAFC's subs. And, like, this is why I have them as my shield favorites, as my cup favorites, because when you can bring on Ibiaga, Hollingshead, uh, Jackson Mendez, Brian Rodriguez, and Gareth Bale, that's a, that's starters like five starters on basically any team in the league and you just plop them all in off the bench you know and you don't, and you don't bring on Segura and Fall who could be the start a starting center back pairing for 100%. almost for almost any team in the league and those are the two subs that you don't use so yeah <laughs> embarrassment of riches i think you have to say that's going to be the difference if they're going to you know carry it through to the uh, end of the season is it's going to be that bench you know basically two starting lineups um, that you can play on that team. Um, from a Seattle point of view, I I think Jordan Morris is really starting to come back to form, and I think that that was pretty apparent in this game. And just unfortunately, you know, he had Rudy Diaz out. 
uh, both Rodon and Rusnak, because of the injuries to Zhao Paulo and Obed Vargas, have to play that kind of defensive midfield role, which forced Jimmy Madrana to play right winger. That didn't really work out in this one. Uh, so just, I feel like, you know, Morris is doing some nice things, but besides that, and, and Ladero's, you know, he's Nico Ladero, he's going to do his thing, but they don't have a ton to facilitate to in front of them, and I feel like that's what's holding back the attack. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't think... You know, Christian Roldan is a is a super versatile player, but I think he's better served out wide or in a more forward position. I think so. It's unfortunate that it seems like um, you know with Jao Paulo being out, of course, for the year, and Obed Vargas being injured for a while. Um, it seems like Kellen Rowe they want to use him more as a as a bench off the bench kind of piece, maybe at right back, sometimes in deep mid. Um, so they're using that Rodon as that second holding midfielder, um, which I think isn't the most optimal use for their team. Um, you know, we're we're recording this on Wednesday, so the midweek or the Tuesday night game has already happened, um, where Seattle comes back back and gets a big win that I think they needed against FC Dallas, and they they started with Leo Chu on the wing, and that that might be a better option for them. Um, to play Chu as a as that second winger if you're going to play Roldan as a holding midfielder. But in general, I think, you know, if you could have Roldan playing on that wing, he just he does so much to put pressure on the defense um, with his activity that that's probably the better place for him to be. And it's just unfortunate that injuries has kind of led uh, or tied Brian Schmetzer's hands a little bit. Yeah, I think injuries definitely tie the hands. I mean, if you just look at the bench, um, Kellen Rowe obviously suspended due to the red card that he picked up uh, last weekend. I think it was against the Rapids. Um, so you have, you know, Leo Chu, you have Josh Atencio, Jackson Reagan, Ethan Dobelair, Dylan Tevez, and then obviously, you know, Freddie Montero kind of being the veteran presence on the bench. That's a really young bench, you know, absent of, you know, players that have experience besides, obviously, Montero. Um, and, you know, whether or not they can, you know, play at this level, and I think they can, and they showed it, I remember some of uh, their starts um, occasionally earlier in the season last year, I think they're capable, but, you know, Brian Schmetzer is obviously going to think twice before putting them on against, you know, a fresh Gareth Bale, a fresh Jason Mendez, you know, uh, Brian Rodriguez, like those players that we talked about, um, you know, that could be a mismatch, so without having those studs in uh, the center of midfield, um, it's going to be rough for for them to really sustain, you know, any kind of depth until they get at least Obed uh, Obed back uh, in that roster. Now, Seattle is sitting six in the West, um, 32 32 points on 23 games played. Uh, Meanwhile, LAFC still riding high. At the uh, top of the league table, 48 points through 22 games, um, a game in hand over the Union in the Shield standings, and three points ahead of them. So for LAFC, it's all fine and dandy. Um, and Seattle, you know, back in the uh, the playoff uh, places. And w- w- like we've all said, you know, it's possible, but we really don't see the Seattle team missing the playoffs. Is that your assessment as well? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of over and over stated that we think they're they're still going to make be a playoff team and be well above the line big for them last night you know three three points with against dallas that's a that's a true six pointer at this point and Rui diaz um got 25 minutes last night so that's that's also a huge positive for them so getting a little bit healthier 
Um, I like Q starting. They brought on Kellen Rowe um, and at 65 minutes and, and move Rodon forward. So a, a little bit more flexibility there. Um, I think overall it hasn't been the season that they've expected, but 11 games to go and they're already above the line. I think we'll see them above the line for the for the rest of the year. Yeah, getting those guys back is going to be crucial. And obviously, the CCL trophy uh, will help a lot of these, uh, you know, minor bumps they're going to have in the league uh, leading into the playoffs. Uh, so that's that game. Um, I guess we'll move on to the unions. Uh, I think it was said on Twitter the second touchdown of the union uh, of the month, six uh, nil this time. Uh, over the Dynamo at home, this one was as a Philly fan, everything that I could have possibly you know dreamt for in this game. This is a Philly side that is starting uh, McGlynn, I think, for the third straight game. Um, you know, young player again in midfield against experience. You know, Hector Herrera and obviously Coco Carasquilla. You know, international level players. Fafa Pico returns to Philly as well. So a bunch of different storylines in this game, but. Uh, the Union scored first. Uh, the the Dynamo um, actually uh, almost leveled. Pico put the ball in the back of the net before it was called back due to offsides. And from that point on, it was all Union. Uh, a goal by Jack McGlynn, a beauty from the free kick. Two from Aura, one just before and one just after halftime. Carranza got in on the action too. Quinn Sullivan near the end of the game. This one was just an absolute doozy to watch uh from a unions fan uh perspective andres what did you see in this one and i think most notably what did you see in mikel aura and do you think that he's going to be able to help this team uh, achieve its goals for the first time in what seems like forever and it seems like he's really coming on right we talked about it maybe two months ago about you know him kind of struggling to to really settle or to be productive then around that um, DC United game where, you know, that 7 nothing DC United game, we said maybe this was, you know, the spark that was going to get them going. And and it seems like it, it maybe was because now you're five games on, that's five wins in a row since, you know, including that game. Um, and if I remember right what I heard, uh, it's either the first or second best goal differential by an MLS team in a month. Um, it helps when you have a six nothing and a seven nothing in the same month to get there. Uh, but you know, even even beyond that, it was also three other wins um, in July and a draw against Columbus. So I, I think right now you're riding really good. Tim. I think you know six nothing isn't sustainable, but some of some of these performances show that that Philly has maybe a higher ceiling than what we were expecting a couple months ago. So I, I think. If you're a Union fan like you are, Joey, I'm not sure you could ask for a whole lot more than what you're getting right now. I'm definitely not asking for more than what we're getting right now. I was, you know, I, Houston has a little bit of firepower, and I didn't know what Pico was going to do, you know, coming back to Subaru Park. Uh, nothing but uh, happiness and pleasure from this game for sure. Um, I, I think just it's one of those things where the Union have just fallen at that final hurdle for a while now because of that lack of you know just like finishing touch whatever it might be and Aura and Carranza just seem to have that partnership Gazdag behind them um I believe all I forget who the tweet was from it was from a union beat writer it might have been from Matt DeGeorge or Jonathan uh Tannenwald um but 
all or Gazdag, Aura, and Carranza, the front three for the Union, all have eight goals at this point in the season. The only trio, I believe, in MLS to have eight goals uh, apiece. And so for a Union fan's perspective and for this team, that's when you start, uh, when you start to get that, that's when you start to, you know, go over what we've seen in past seasons and kind of hope to achieve more because in the past it just we were getting held back by the fact that we would create chances, nothing would come of it. I think that this front this front three, this trio might be able to do it. Um but that's also a hopeful point of view. I think Houston wasn't horrific for the first, you know, little bit of this game. Would you you know share my view that after a few goals, like really after the first half, they just kind of fell apart and just kind of packed it in. And, and especially on the road, you know, you travel across the country, um, you put up a good fight. And then I think that McGlynn free kick um, might have been what, what kind of deflates you a little bit. And, and once you, once you let, let a couple goals in, it's, it's hard to come back from. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's unfair to say that maybe they gave up a little bit on this one. Um, but still, we've seen this happen with the Union against DC United, where um, if a team lets them in, uh, they can do that to teams where they can put in multiple goals back to back to back. The only thing I'll push back on a little bit with the Union, and this, it's not that I disagree on the potential, but I'll say this: Philadelphia has been built and has done well over the for the regular season over the last um, what three or four years now, maybe four years. Um, and all we're seeing is more regular season success. Now, I totally agree that it seems that this team is better suited to perform in the playoffs, but we we haven't seen it yet. Um, so I think the jury's still out on it, but I think the perception is that this is probably the best shot of that, um, but it hasn't happened yet. So we're not really seeing a whole lot from the union in terms of results different than what we've seen before, especially when they won Supporter Shield. Just that the way that they're doing it and the talent that they have might indicate that they have a better shot at a at a higher type of ceiling. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's kind of my view, too. It's the difference um, in, the, in the fact that the two strikers that we have this year that I would presume would be the starting pair, neither of them were there last year. Um in some of those key playoff moments. Uh, you know, the, the way that we went out was also the COVID situation, and that was rough, and not much you can do, uh, you know, there. But because we have these th- this new pair, and they seem to be functioning well, and Gazdag, which is a, absolutely crucial to this team, his goals and his assists, and in the way he involves himself in build-up, that's just all falling into place in a way that it hasn't, and Gazdag wasn't connecting as well last year with the front two. So because those things are falling the way they are, I think I can see a noticeable difference um, just within the regular season. The Union are way more dominant uh, in some of these wins than they've been for a while. Like I don't remember a game last year that was 7 nothing, 6 nothing, and the way that they're burying opponents, uh, particularly in the last month, has been um, really, really uh, exciting to see. Also, just worth mentioning before we move on, Ali Bedoya is, is aging like fine wine. A hat trick of assists for him in this game. Do you have anything on Bedoya? I, I just think it's praise for the way that he's kept his body and seems to just be performing at a higher and higher level, it seems. No, I think, I, I mean, I, 
I'm not sure there's anything to say that hasn't been said. He's just such a super solid player, um, going both ways, you know, both in the attack and, and tracking back. He does all the little things for the team. And, you know, the Union have lost players over the last few, few seasons. You know, you think about McKenzie, you think about uh, Aronson, um, even even guys like maybe that weren't as as central but still important guys like Sergio Santos, uh, Fafa Pico. Uh, you think back a couple of seasons back to Bork, Bork Dojkal or Menounian, um and some of those guys. But constants have been Ali Bedoya, Andre Blake, and Kai Wagner. And those three guys, I think, um, you look at what all three of them are or what they mean to their specific area on the field. And it's no surprise that four seasons in a row where Philadelphia is either, you know, either pretty good or one of the best teams in the East. So, yeah, and I have a whole lot to add other than if he keeps going at this level, there's no reason why Philadelphia should fall off as long as he's playing, you know, in this at this level in, in that position. Yeah, and his role in this, you know, the four four two diamond is it just kind of fits him, and he just kind of performs so well within it. Really good stuff from Bedoya. Really good stuff from the Union. Union uh, sit top of the East for uh, forty five points on twenty three games. Um, that's three points and one game played more than uh, the NYCFC. So Union uh, sitting pretty top of the top of the East, and for Houston, a little rougher, sitting 12th in the West, 25 points on 23 games, 7 points out of a playoff position, so a ton of work to do for Houston if they want to see themselves in the playoffs. We'll move on to really the two most exciting games of the weekend. We'll start with Minnesota and Portland. Uh, That happened first. That was the early game on Saturday. It started bright and early. What was it 13, 14 seconds into the game? Sebastian Blanco scores. Uh, kicked off an absolute thriller. 4-4, the final in Minnesota. Just so much to talk about in this game in terms of goals. Uh, what were your main takeaways from this one? These are the type of games that you just kind of throw tactics out and just enjoy. Uh, the, the wildness and the craziness. It's really hard to take something away from from these games and say, okay, this is what this means for this team, or this is, you know, what what you can expect from them going forward based on this performance or or, or, or whatnot. These these sort of games are just kind of wild, and, and you have to take it for what it is. Uh, so first of all, I think we see from we see with Portland, you know, how important Blanco is. He gets he gets the brace. He arguably could have had a hat trick, which would have been the first in Timbers history. Um, I agree that it was a, more of an own goal than a, than a goal for Blanco on the last one. Um, but he's just such a good player. And that, that early goal is exactly what Portland wants to do with the interplay between Moreno and Nisgoda. Uh, and, and, you know, Blanco's at the center of it all. Um, unfortunately, I think for both teams, both teams, I think, have questions defensively. Uh, Portland has had them over the last few years and and somehow kind of puts it together for the playoffs. Uh, Minnesota without Ike um, has sometimes struggled defensively. And I think we saw some you know lapses defensively, which leads to some goals that maybe shouldn't have happened uh, on both sides. So I think maybe if you're Adrian Heath, you're probably disappointed, um, even though you come back and get a, and get a draw. 
that you couldn't hold on to the lead at home. If you're Savarese, I think you're probably okay with this. Uh, even though you, you score early, going down 3-1 on the road and then getting a draw, even though you give up a late lead. Um, yeah, it's kind of one of those wild ones where you're probably kind of shrug your shoulders and say, okay, that was wild, let's keep going. I'm not, I'm not sure there's a whole lot more to take away from it. What do you see? Yeah, I think your point about uh, the defense is, is interesting. I just went back to the lineups of uh, the playoff match last year between these two sides in which Portland won. And for Portland, the back line, exactly the same. Uh, for Minnesota, DeBossi and Boxall were still the center backs, but Chase Gasper and Roman Mentonier were the outside backs, which is not the case at all this year. Gasper's gone. Uh, I forget what Mentonier's issue is, but he's not played all year for this side. Um, and, and so because that's the case, I, I think for Minnesota, it's been interesting, just the kind of the mix and match. They've had O'Neill Fisher at times. Um, it's just not been 100% cohesive. For Portland, it makes less sense because this is the side that went to MLS Cup with this exact defensive lineup. You know, I, I like Mabiala. I, I the outside backs are you know they're fine. Zuperich, like it should work. They have that chemistry, but yet you know you you talk about defensive issues, and at the end of the day, it was four or four, so something went wrong. But I, I think overall, for me, it just stressed how important. Um, Sebastian Blanco and Emmanuel Reynoso are their individual teams just because everything seemed to go through them. Blanco, obviously, with all the goal contributions, Reynoso was key in just so many of their attacks for Minnesota. And, and without those two, I think that these teams are not at all what we've seen them to be at their best. Um, also interesting is that Portland really tried, or didn't try necessarily, but had more of the possession. But Minnesota was equally as threatening just off their quick uh, quick attacks, whether it be counterattacks, whether it just be running at the defensive line. So those, so both, I guess, the importance of the tens and the you know difference in how the teams attacked were the most interesting things. Do you have anything to say regarding that or anything more in this game? Yeah, I think for Minnesota, it's one. You're absolutely right. I think we've said it before. As Babello goes, pretty much. Minnesota goes, but it's helped the last few weeks that Adrian Heath has decided that he's going to play Amaria up top uh, with a, as an actual striker and move Robin Lode more to that midfield or, or to that either the the two or the three line or the four two three one, um, and I think that's really opened up. They made the decision to get rid of of Hunu and to start Amaria, and that kind of. Solidity or that decision has, I think, helped in their attack. Um, on Portland's side, you know, you, you mentioned on the defense that it's the same. Yes, it's the same, but Mabiala is 34. Um, the outside backs, I think, are a liability and have been. Uh, both Van Rankin and Bravo, I think, are decent going forward, but give up um, all sorts of penalties, really. Uh, we've seen it time and time again, and, and I'm not sure that those are super defensive outside backs. So that's an area that I think Portland has somewhat struggled with, and with Super Rich and Mabiala getting up there in age. Um, you know, Mabiala is super experienced and tends to play really well in the playoffs, but I don't know if that's sustainable throughout the season. Um, so I, th- I just see them defensively being, be- being somewhat uh, liable to, to give up 
multiple goals. So we'll see on Portland. I think they're really talented, especially going forward, um, but have some some weakness at the back. That's pretty much what I've got on this game. Yeah, I, I and also, but your point about um, Amaria is very well taken. I mean, you know, just props to him. Two goals in this game. One of them was a really, really nice individual effort at the end of the first half. The other was the header that came back across, and it was a really, really good uh, striker's finish um, from him. So because, you know, he's scoring in the way that he is, it just makes sense. Play him up top and, you know, just let him do the work um, because so far, uh, you know, it's paying off, and more recently especially. I'm a fan of him, uh, and obviously with Huno uh, gone now, he's this is his job, and he needs to start filling those boots. And he did in this game. And loads uh, of, we'll loads move to the other four four game. What do you say? Loads a good player. He, he's just not really a nine, and they were playing him so right. out of position. So if they can move that around like they have been, and have a true nine up there, but keep Lode in the in the lineup, um, then I think that makes their whole attack a whole lot more cohesive. And it gives Reynoso more options to play off of. So I think that helps overall. Right, yeah. That, that, and yeah, well, I think we're in agreement on that. Like, essentially, Amaria is the only true nine that they have. Play him at the nine. And more times than not, he'll produce what he's been producing recently, which is goals. Um, and this team is going to need them down the home stretch Because, uh, you know, even though they are third right now, they're only three points um, from seventh. So... They still need these goals. They're being in third place right now in the Western Conference does not guarantee you a playoff spot by any means. Um, Portland sitting one point out of seventh on 31 points through 23 games. Minnesota United, 23 games played, 35 points. Does, does we'll move Portland on, like, the playoffs for you, you think? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Portland in the playoffs? Uh, no. I, I, I think the Galaxy, for me have that edge in terms of I would just put them head to head I and mean, we'll see how they play moving forward but Portland doesn't seem to want to make a move at the transfer deadline um Galaxy obviously have and we'll get into that in a minute I just I don't know I just like the Galaxy a little more but, I mean they're both they're both out now so you have to knock out Nashville Seattle Salt Lake Dallas Minnesota pretty much right, that's my point like forgetting those teams which I think are very talented squads I think just in, in terms of the non-playoff teams, I think that Portland might not be the best out of the bunch. So that's where I have that. But I can see a, a different perspective there, maybe because of the experience. But for Portland, I just it hasn't come together so far this season in a really cohesive way for a sustained amount of time. And I'm slightly nervous for their playoff hopes. But we'll see. Um, we saw last season that all things are possible. But yeah, I, I, I don't have them in the playoffs right now. But I, again, they can turn it around. They have the players to turn it around, so I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, that's basically all, all I have for that game. We'll move on. Miami hosting uh, Cincinnati. In this one, another 4-4 game. They left it late in this one. Um, a goal uh, on the last, or basically the last play of the game for Miami. Um, brilliant goal, too, uh, to tie it up at 4-4. FCC got a late one as well. Um, and man, just a, another fun game for Miami. Uh, just to, I guess, kind of kickstart the conversation. 
if I guess if eight goals doesn't kickstart the conversation for you, Andres, uh, I thought Robert Taylor was really, really, really good in this one. Um, what are your thoughts on this game and your thoughts on Taylor? He's been good pretty much all season. Um, he's been arguably their best player, uh, especially, you know, Lasseter was, was playing really well. He's been hurt lately. Um, Campana was good early uh, and has been on and off in the lineup, was struggling a little bit with injuries and, and a little bit with form. Uh, Iguain's been good lately, but not as good at the beginning. So I think Taylor's been their most consistent player, especially when he can play uh, further up the field. If they play him further back, um, I think he's less effective. Uh, but he had a goal, I want to say it was the Charlotte game where he kind of cuts in, takes on two players, and then slots it in near post uh, with a really pretty goal. Um, and he's just been, he's, he's been the, probably their most consistent good player all season. I think with this game, uh, I think you see kind of the good from both sides. Uh, um, and unfortunately, you see some of the bad from both sides. Uh, you know, Miami can do this to teams where they can create a bunch of dangerous chances. Um, you see with the Pozuelo, you know, through ball to Iguain who touches it past the keeper and then slots it home. That's exactly what you want to see if you're, if you're Miami, right? That's the type of, that's the type of goal that you have Pozuelo and Iguain in the lineup for. Um, but you give up a 3-1 lead at home Um and then with Cincinnati, you can see the interplay. Vasquez, two goals. Um, he gets the goal started on Brenner's goal as well, where he holds up the ball, finds Acosta, and Acosta finds Brenner on the other side of the of the field. Really, really good open play from Cincinnati. But again, uh, four goals given up again. And that's not the first time. They've gave, they gave up four goals to Montreal a couple times. They gave up four goals to NYC. So some of the ugliness from the last few seasons defensively again. So I think it's one of those games where both teams probably unhappy uh, with a 4-4 draw. And it doesn't really serve either one of them in the standings. Uh, Cincinnati right on the playoff line, Miami below it. So yeah, for, for a neutral, entertaining and fun to watch, I think if you're either team, you're not happy. And the defensive side is is not great. Cincinnati are going to be especially unpleased because of how late they gave up that last goal. But I agree that you know both for both sides, you know, were, four goals should be more than enough to win. They were three two so, down in the 80th. So yeah, they were. You know, <laughs> you, yeah, go, those, yeah. you go from despair to ecstasy back to being disappointed. Both sides, I think. I think because of the way the game played out, and Inter Miami had. A good amount of dominance um just in the run of play like i think that for the most part just watching the game from even just a neutralist point of view it felt like miami was gonna win until they weren't winning and then they came back like it was it was the roller coaster um and this one was quite something uh barrial brenner two of those players that had kind of been maligned um in the past or not i'm that's kind of a strong word, but still for, you know, the DPs that came in, were supposed to be the difference makers for this club weren't necessarily in past seasons, you know, goal contributions galore in this game, Barrial with two assists, Brenner with two goals. How, 
do you kind of view them in this team? Obviously, Vasquez is the guy up top, but you know their contributions are necessary. Um, if this team is to go places, you know, obviously Lucho Acosta as well. How do you kind of see these guys? Um, in I guess their redemption seasons. Yeah, Barrio was really, really good. Um, both goals, both the the tying goal to put to make it three three, and the four three go ahead goal. Um, he pretty much set both of them up. Um, and he was, unfortunately, as a USMNT fan, he was kind of taking advantage of, of DeAndre Yellen on, on that side of the pitch um, and found both balls were perfect for, for Vasquez. Um, and he's been, he's been coming on leaps and bounds. And I think uh, in that more advanced position when he can play more of a, as a winger rather than a wing back, um, he's really good. And, and Brenner's, We've we've said it now for what a month and a half or two months that he's clearly much more settled and much more confident, and you could see it in the way he's finishing. So I think attacking is not the issue there. Um, it's it's really what do you do? Do you play four at the back? Do you play three at the back? Um, neither one really seems to be working right now. So that's really where the where the issue lies with Cincinnati because, like you mentioned, Acosta, Brenner, and Vasquez are an excellent front three. Um, and, and Barrio coming off the left wing has been really good as well. Yeah, and I, I think something just ke- worth keeping in mind um, for all the people who wrote Brenner and Barrio off uh, last season that they're both 2000 birthdays, like the year 2000. They're young players still in any other context besides like bringing them in as DPs, expecting them to lead the team. Um, you know, besides that context, they've still got a ton of talent and potential as well to improve. Um, I think uh, I'll, I'll quickly touch on, you know, what you were talking about with Taylor up top, because Gregory and Jean Mata seem to be doing pretty well in that defensive midfield role that allows Taylor and Vasilev to flourish and have more creativity on the wings. And, you know, something I think is key is that Pasuelo seems to be fitting in pretty nicely. That was apparent in this game. Um, he had his goal uh, called back due to offsides on the buildup, but Taylor had that beautiful back heel to him, uh, and it was a tidy finish. Um, had to get called back, though. Gonzalo Higuain, first half hat trick. Um, first goal was that banger off a free kick that, if you guys are MLS fans, you've probably seen on socials. Just a, I mean, a banger is the only word to describe this. The, the second goal was that beautiful uh, through ball, great run by Higuain, and the finish. And the last one was the penalty. So, you know, not as much work on that one, but a really good first half from Higuain. Uh, the hat trick. I don't know if he's had a hat trick with Inter Miami. No, I maybe don't, he, I has. Don't think he has. Uh, that, yeah, it surprised me. If, I don't remember one. Um, it would surprise me if he had had one. And it's a good point was made by the broadcast team is that since Campana's been out, it's been three straight. Um, was it three straight home games with a goal for him? Uh, two of those games were winning efforts. So he's key, um, or he's been key uh, in Campana's absence. Because remember, Campana was, had overtaken Higuain. Higuain was benched, legitimately benched, uh, for Le- uh, Leandro Campana. Or, Leonardo. Yeah, yeah Leon- Leonardo, sorry. Leonardo Campana. And so to see um, Higuain come back in this way is a testament, I think, to the fact that he's still locked into this team. I do want to expand the Brandon Vasquez discussion. If anybody's on USMNT Twitter, uh, Vince from Scuffed has been um, 
pumping out the uh, Brandon Vasquez propaganda, saying that he should be on the USMNT, that he definitely should get this chance. I am kind of in that boat that if there is a chance that's still up for grabs, it should go to Brandon Vasquez because he just continues to put in the work. Two goals in this game. He's uh, He has 13 on the season. He just seems to be rounding into form. And for a big man, good feet just kind of does everything. Uh, Andres, what's your thought on Vasquez? And I, I think, you know, he could be destined for bigger things, um, whether this World Cup cycle or potentially the next one. I mean, let's, let's look at, let's be real. What are the options or who is he fighting with for a spot? I think we all kind of expect Jesus Ferreira there. And then after that, you know, are, are we thinking, I, I, it seems like Josh Sargent's kind of out of the picture. Uh, Jordan Prefock, Sibachu Prefock seems to be out of the picture. Daryl DK not you know not playing recently injured and and didn't play well necessarily the last the last time he got a shot so you know who we it doesn't seem like Jossie's in there anymore obviously Josie's not in the picture anymore so who who are we really competing with there I think the the spot is open uh, he's clearly in form he can finish with his head he can finish with his feet he can hold the ball up. He doesn't have a ton of pace to run behind, but he gets in good positions in the box. So I'm not, I'm not really seeing what the issue is, um, other than the fact that he hasn't been in camp, uh, you know, recently, or, or, or I think he hasn't been in any senior camp um, with the U.S. So maybe it's a familiarity thing. You don't want to bring somebody in for the first time right before the World Cup. But outside of that, I'm not really seeing what the problem is. At, at least for that September, is it a September camp? Um, yeah, late September. That at, at least you bring him in, right? And I don't think you start him necessarily, but if you're down late and need a goal, um, that's a, a really good option. Or even if you're up late and need to hold the ball up, that's also uh, you know a good option. Um, he gives you something significantly different than what Ferreira does. So yeah, I'm all for it. At least as a, as, at least as a chance. Um, I'm I'm also on the Tim Weah as a nine option as well, so I I, I don't see I, I don't see what the what the problem would be with at least giving giving him a look at this point. Yeah, I would prefer to keep Way on the wing only because he's been so successful there. But yeah, I besides that fact that he hasn't come in yet, hasn't you know introduced himself with the team at all. Do you want to give him two games, two friendly games in Europe versus Asian teams um, and then turn around and then play in the World Cup? Um, You know, those Asian teams are going to be tough tests, but that's also saying if he would get time, um, like, would he would he get enough time to really make a difference? I'm not sure. The June window would have been the window, but he's still deserving of a call up because Again, assuming that Ricardo Pepe continues to not get Pepe. starting minutes. <laughs> I knew I was losing somebody. It's Pepe. Okay, Pepe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I didn't realize. It, but yeah, not getting starting minutes doesn't seem to necessarily be first choice right now for Augsburg. You look at uh, Jordan Pifok, um, score that beautiful goal in the Pokal on Monday. But besides that, you know, yet to introduce himself on the Bundesliga stage. We'll see where that goes. He could 100% get back get back in the hat. Haji Wright with those weird comments by Burhalter, maybe out of it for the time being. And I mean, I don't want to get so, super far in the weeds, but with P- with PFOC, but 
even when he was scoring 25 goals in the Swiss League, there was something, you know, Berhalter, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to really rate him. He brought him in for, for Nations League. Um, and I think he brought him in one other time. And it, it, for for whatever reason, it just doesn't, maybe it's something he sees in training or, or whatnot. There's just something about PFOC that Berhalter doesn't quite seem to rate. So, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it just seems like it's not he really would, an option for him. He started that Canada game, uh, the tie on home soil, and then he he came in that Mexico game and had called back, you know that he, he had that you know infamous at this point miss, and that's really been it. Um, and so we'll see if he gets back into the picture. I mean, Vasquez looks like the clear choice out of that. Obviously, Ferreira being the presumed number one at this point in time, just due to you know, overall performance in the league. But yeah, I, I think that Vasquez is 100% um, worthy of the, the call-up, especially because he is technically a dual national. He could play for Mexico right now if he wanted. Um, and, you know, ha- calling him in because of the form, also because that form could be used, um, you know, really with our direct opponent. Uh, so, you know, all those things kind of coming into confluence. I think Vasquez should 100% get his chance with the men's national team. So that was kind of our... Uh, Miami FCC Brandon Vasquez conversation. Um, unless you have anything more on that, Andres, we'll move on to really the final game I I want to touch on, and you can hit uh, on the Red Bulls crazy game as well. It's DC or in Orlando. I wasn't going to really talk about this until really the final five minutes of this game when Orlando leading one nil heading in uh, to second half stoppage time, and suddenly DC gets two goals and they win. Um, in the kind of a most incredible fashion that you could imagine, especially, you know, this team being in the form that they are, maybe something about Wayne Rooney coaching his first game for this club, you know, was the difference. But uh, Chris Durkin on 90 plus one and Taxi Funtas on 90 plus five were the ones that did it uh, for DCU. Really, they were the, um, they, they didn't look like the better team in the first half. Uh, Orlando had opportunities to, you know, make a three or four or start two or three or four. Uh, and they just never did. Um, and DC was able to punish them in the end. Uh, I, I don't really know what to say because it just happened so quickly and so spontaneously, but Andres, what are your thoughts on this game? Something about Orlando and DC, right? I mean, so yeah. if you think back 2018, Rooney comes into DC and it's the infamous tackle at midfield, uh, cross 45 yards to Lucho uh, Macosta for for the win against Orlando. That you know that kind of gets the the whole Lucharu thing going back way back then. And even a month ago, in the depths of despair that DC United was, um, they beat Orlando 5-3 uh, on the fourth of July. Um, and here they are again, Rooney's first game coaching, and they get a 95th minute winner. Uh, to win two one, I think if that's if I remember right, I think that's the first point DC gets since the the five three win. No, that's not true. They uh, they drew uh, Columbus a, a few weeks ago. Other than that, um, they had lost to Philadelphia the seven nothing. They lost to Minnesota two nothing. They lost to Montreal, um, and then they come in and and beat Orlando. So I'm not sure what's going on with DC and Orlando. Um, some, some magic in the air. Um, to be corny about it, I, I think long term, you know, 
I don't think any of us think DC is making a, a real run in a playoff spot here. I think it's more concerning for Orlando. Uh, they are clearly in, above the playoff line now, um, but they are probably the team that I um, am least... Well, that's not true. Cincinnati is the team I'm most concerned about above the playoff line, but outside of Cincinnati, they're the only other team that I'm concerned falling below the playoff line in the East. Um, and it's performances like this and a few others that that kind of leave you wondering a little bit with Orlando. Um, not as clinical when they when they can put games away um, and sometimes a little soft holding leads or, or, or defensively. So unfortunate for them to give up points um, at, the, at the last second to the team leading the wooden, the wooden spoon right now. Wooden spoon. Easy for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're good. Um, yeah, Orlando's just it's just a weird team, man. They're like they're just supremely talented. Look at them on paper, and they look like one of the better sides in the league. Honestly, like Gaese is so solid. That center back pairing with, especially with Antonio Carlos coming back, and he looks really good. Um, I, even up top, like Junior Urso had a great goal in this game. Facu Torres. It it looks like it should work. And yet, it's just so inconsistent. They should have won this game. This should have been three points in the bag. They should have had this thing finished by halftime. And it, they didn't. And that's why DC was able to walk away with this one with a win. And why Orlando is still only three points clear of the line. That's why. Um, it, it just... Something, like you said, you know, they're the only team I really see... I'm, I'm concerned about besides Cincy. But that's only because... They're so inconsistent in just the way they play. You know, they lost to Philly at home, uh, but then they destroyed the Red Bulls, and they're in the Open Cup final. They drew, had a couple draws. They, you know, beat Miami, lost to DC 5-3 at the 4th of July. So it's just that up-and-down nature that I just don't trust, despite the lineup. Uh, not really much to talk about in this game besides that I, I think... I don't even... Like, I don't even know, like... Oh, oh! I do want to mention this. Uh, DC keeper uh, Rafael Romo went for a walk about five times in this game. Did you did you catch that as well? Oh, I I missed that. I'm not sure. Oh uh, dang! He just like would take strolls outside of the box, and the center backs would look like what's going on, and he would just come out for balls that are like 20, 25 yards out, where he has no business coming out for them. That I that gave me some enjoyment in this game, um, and that was really the only enjoyment from DC until. Really, the last twenty minutes of the game, they had some other. They had really one good chance before that, but man, um, I will say this: moving forward for DC, because they have that new influx of signings, um, including the David Ochoa trade, uh, Ravel Morrison, um, and other pieces kind of coming in from overseas. Me, I'm not going to say it's going to be a playoff push because I don't think it is, but I do want to see what this team can be if they have that little bit of a spark of you know ingenuity new signings and stuff because they are only um playing 20 they've played 21 games so far and are on 21 points you know not a record that's going to get them to the playoff line but i do want to see how they fare maybe against some of the other bottomish teams in the east but besides that i think all eyes on are on orlando as they sit fifth um 23 games played 30 points we'll see where they can uh go from here and with that being said, I'll just kind of throw it to you um, for uh, the Red Bulls-Colorado game last night. That was just absolutely wild. 
Yeah, and, and just to finish up on Orlando, so if you ha- if you ask me, if you put a gun to my head, I think Orlando makes playoffs. That, that would be my, my guess. I think they stay above. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, that inconsistency is why I'm more concerned for them than, say, maybe um, some of the other teams in and around the area. Although there is some separation between them and the Red Bulls right now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's to wrap up on, on Orlando. Yeah, so Colorado Red Bulls, Red Bulls come out with basically two very Red Bull goals. Um, a turnover in the in the third in the defensive third of Colorado, um, and a deflection which goes in, and then a set piece goal from Aaron Long that puts them up to nothing um, right away. And then you know it's it's these things where you're up two goals at home, um, and they were up two goals twice at home um, and can't hold on can't hold on to the lead. They they go you know two one and then three one. After after a penalty, um, which was almost a dog so red card, and then it seemed like they just kind of ran out of gas, and it, there a lot of a lot was made about how Red Bulls press and press and press, and in the summer you know you get worn down, but and 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 not that I disagree, but they also played you know since the last game that Colorado played, Red Bull played their Open Cup semifinal and then played Barcelona. Uh, over the weekend and then played a Tuesday night game. So it was just a lot of games back to back to back. Um, and Colorado was able to take advantage of some of the spaces, um, come back and were up for three, uh, get a, a really nice goal, but by a 17 year old that gets called back. He then scores again two minutes later to go up five, three. Um, then there's a penalty in the 90 something to get, to get them to five, four. Um, and, Rebel scored to even up at five, but get called back for offside um, in the last second. So just completely wild midweek after dark type of game. Um, but overall, I think Red Bulls being up two goals twice at home and losing um, to Colorado, which we think should be a good team, but hasn't really been all year, has to be really disappointing. I think Rebels needs kind of a a break here from this from this run, which they're not going to get. They got seven games coming up this month. But um, yeah, I think you you if you look at it from Gerhard Schuber's point of view, you you're thinking you need to catch your breath a little bit and and get right back on the get back on the right track uh, because it's been a wild uh, couple weeks for them. Yeah, super wild, and it just. I think it just felt like a long time since they've done anything super, super productive in the league because they had that 4-3 win over Austin um, on July 24th. And I, it, but like besides that, and, and those, that was the game where Drew UC hit the two bangers. Um, but besides that, they lost to NYCFC a week before that, the 17th of July. Drew Cincinnati. Cincinnati had two red cards, and they still drew them a week before that. So it's really been you know, since when, like beginning of July, since they had any kind of real rhythm in the league. And I think that's what's contributed to their slide. Cause it is a bit of a slide. You know, they were top of the East at one point, hanging around there with the union and NYCFC. And now they're uh, 36 points to 23 games well behind um, Philly and NYCFC and Mont- And even with Montreal on points, Montreal having a game in hand. So 
this Red Bulls team, like I, I agree with you 100%, needs to catch their breath, needs to start to regain their footing now that Open Cup's done for them, and get back to what we know that they can do, which is solid defense. And, you know, with Lewis Morgan in that addition, especially hitting on the attack when they can. And that's been their recipe for success in past years. And it seems like they started to move away from that a little bit. And I worry for kind of sustainable patterns of play if they don't get back to more solid defense and just a, a more calm style, which we know is the Red Bull way. Um, so, if, And if you look at it, and like you mentioned, so if you look at their last few games, discount the Barcelona one, um, because yeah. friendly against a European team. But if we look at the last three games against MLS opponents, they gave up three goals to Austin, they gave up five to Orlando, and they gave up five to Colorado, which could have been six or seven. Um, you know, some of those are bangers, some of those are unlucky, but that amount of goals um, indicates, you know, not not exactly the best uh, form defensively. We already talked about their lack of a consistent striker. They get a lot of goals on turnovers. They get goals on set pieces, um, but they don't have a striker to go to. And if you're not playing well defensively, then yeah, I share your concern. Um, some of that is fatigue, I think, uh, but not all of it. So some work to do for, for Red Bulls right now. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the root of it. And, and we've seen this Red Bull team be so successful in the past because it's oh, it all starts with that defense. It starts with... You know, Aaron Long, Sean Nealis, that crew, you know, uh, Dylan on the right and um, John Tolkien on the left. Edwards, you know, also pairing up in the center backs and Cornell behind them. That's a really solid back five um, and has shown to be solid uh, in the past. Needs to start to carry that forward in this season. Um, you know, they're sitting fine right now. They're they're might host the playoff game, probably will. Um, at this point, uh, six points clear of, you know, the next playoff or next spot, which would be Orlando in fifth. So they're going to be fine, but not the Red Bull team that we saw at points in this season. Um, I need to get back to that, especially when you have, what was it? A three, one lead at home. Uh, you need to be able to hold that thing. Uh, um, if... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, that, that's, yeah, that's all I had. And- Andres Reyes came back and started, um, for the first time, um, last night. That's another yeah, yeah, I see that that's down, a yeah. center back that, that helps, I think, uh, especially with the rotation, whether they want to play three at the back um, or they're going to play four at the back. Um, having him back, you know, helps as well to keep guys fresh, especially if they're going to keep pressing the way they are. But, but yeah, um, a little bit of work to do anyways. But at least that's a, a positive sign for them coming with him coming back in. Yeah, but and but we agree, like, essentially the moral of the story is the Red Bulls should not be a team that gets in shootouts. It's not going to be a good way for them to win. Um, and we saw that in this game. Not much to touch on from a Colorado perspective, except that, you know, good win on the road, uh, you know, good comeback, and they need the points if they want to have any hope of, uh, you know, making some noise, 27 points through 22 games. Uh, you know, again, five points out of that last playoff spot with a game in hand over Nashville and Seattle and RSL and all those other teams. So they need some help, um, and this game will go a long way. This is three points that are, it, it almost feels like a steal. And so for them, you know, that'll be uh, well-earned and, you know, well-used in their uh, run for the playoffs. That's basically all I have on the, um, 
on, on the games of this week, and we have some games tonight. We're again we're recording this on Wednesday, so four games tonight and a game on Friday before we get to thirteen games on Saturday. So that'll be crazy. Um, but that's really all I have on this last week's games. I think as we head out of here, it's going to be worth to touch on some transfers as, you know, today, right, is the um, transfer deadline day uh, for the league, um, or maybe tomorrow, one or the other, as, you know, rosters start to become finalized, and the roster finalization date is in, you know, first week of September, and that's when the rosters have to be locked in as the teams start to make that race for the playoffs. Um, And I guess we'll start with the big one, Andres. You can take this. Uh, Ricky Puig uh, transferring from Barcelona, the 22-year-old that you know many thought could you know be one of the, one for the future at Barca, is an LA Galaxy player, and also by the way that coming uh, due to uh, Rayon Rivellison moving uh, to France. So a, a lot of change happening there in that LA Galaxy midfield. What do you make of it? Yeah, I, I mean I think <laughs> with the Galaxy it's always strange, right? So. I'm not. I'm always leery of of what the Galaxy are doing. I think central midfield help is where where they needed some help. Um, I think Brogman, um is the sort of player that they really needed um, in in the center of that midfield. I think it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Um, Revelison's been pretty decent, I thought, for them. Uh, but really, on the wing is also you know the area where they were where they were kind of struggling. So I think it's it's definitely interesting. Um, he's a young player. He's not you know he's not in his thirties or, or or approaching thirty. Uh, but I think as with everything, Galaxy, it's a wait and see to see how they fit him in, in into the roster and into the lineup. Um, it seems like Vanny has settled on playing. With one striker, uh, or more on that one striker, two wingers type system, um, I guess he'll slot in next to Marky Delgado. Um, we'll see. I'm, or, or excuse me, right in front of Marky Delgado um, and and Brugman. Uh Yeah, not sure. We'll 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 see what how they decide to use him. Definitely w- worth watching, though. Definitely worth watching, and I think also like. People are going to forget about the Revelison move, but it is worth touching on how big of a player he's been for them. In a few rough years for the Galaxy, he's been one of the bright spots for sure. Him and Delgado have been a really good partnership, and that's kind of anchored down the fort at times when the other pieces were a little all over the place. And you know, for him to move back to France, he came from France initially, this time uh, from, from League 2, as MLS Buzz on Twitter points out. Now to League One, a deserving move to Auxerre, um, the newly promoted side. Uh, for him, well deserving, and for Puig, a chance to you know prove himself because he didn't get the time of Barca that people thought he could. Um, and obviously, that's hard when you have you know world class players like Pedri and Gavi, you know young players, eight, seventeen, eighteen years old, also playing in that position. Um, so not a surprise that he didn't get the time necessarily, but now with the Galaxy, he's going to have to start to prove himself. And I believe Barcelona retained a sell-on fee. So, you know, if that talent that many saw, it pays off at the Galaxy, uh, Barca's going to ha- get some of that money then um, if he gets transferred on. That's just... I wonder if they're going to play Puig more as a, as a 10 
or if they're going to use Yeah, them. probably. Yeah. I mean, right now they, they've got Vasquez that they could bring off the bench in that role, but I don't think he he's not at a point where in his career where he plays 90 minutes. Um, and if they're settled on this 4-2-3-1 um, style, then I guess you need a more attacking type midfielder. You'll sit with Elgato and and Brugman as on the two line, um, and have somebody like Cabral and Costa out on the wings with Chicharito up front, and then Puig kind of playing in that in that role. I I, I guess that's where they're they're gonna play him. Um, yeah, interesting. And and I thought Revelison was pretty good for the Galaxy. So um, it's it's yeah. definitely. As with all things Galaxy, sort of hit or miss. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see how it goes. Um, and shout out uh, to everybody's boy Fabrizio Romano on uh, the Ricky Puig uh, news. He's been on that basically from uh, day one. Uh, we'll move to some do- uh, Tom Bogert news now, I guess. And Danny Musovski, as I mentioned earlier, on the move from LAFC to Real Salt Lake for 250k in GAM. Thoughts on this move? I think interesting move. Um, certainly offloading some of that winger talent from an LAFC perspective and getting back a decent amount of GAM. Uh, RSL is going to use him though to you know boost their uh, playoff chances because you know now they're back in fifth. They need to stay afloat in that crazy race in the West. Yeah, I think so. This sort of makes sense in terms of you don't have to pay a ton of GAM uh, and you get a a somewhat proven player at this point uh, yeah. to, to play up front where uh, Bobby Wood's going to be out for a little while longer. So you're, you're basically playing with Cordova up front, uh, Rubio Rubin, um, and, and Salvarino, who's sort of um, not really, a, he used to be a winger. He's kind of playing as a second striker right now. So I think it, it makes sense for, for Real Salt Lake um, to bring in a player that I think is, is proven that he's he's a solid in the, in the league. And for LAFC, it also makes sense. You have clearly a ton of players in this area, uh, as we've mentioned with Bale and Rodriguez and Arango and Vela and so on and so forth and Opoku. Um, so I, I think it makes sense for both teams. Um, uh, solid overall, not not a whole lot there. You know that's perplexing. Makes makes sense to me. Yeah, a, a really solid. You know, one of those moves that just makes a ton of sense. It's a mutual move, one hundred percent of the way. And I guess we'll move on now to the the news that was definitely out of nowhere. Made me scratch my head a little bit, but. I may like it a little bit. Um, from Sam's stage goal, bomb dropped in the middle of the day that the Revs are sending Legette, the Sebastian Legette, the one that they paid over a million for uh, in GAM um, from the Galaxy coming in this offseason. The Revs are trading Legette to FC Dallas for 600 k in, I think it just said allocation money. Um, so, you know, kind of that you know, what is it? Tam is a gam yet to see, but a, a move that definitely uh, devalued over like the last six months, an interesting move also given the fact that, you know, even though that Dallas midfield has been pretty good, they didn't have a ton of depth. So at least from that point of view, it makes sense. But with Surreal, with Cervania, with uh, Pomical, obviously in there, 
Where does Leggett fit in? I don't know. Do you have any inkling of where this move is going to go, Andres? Um, I think it kind of makes sense. So he hasn't really been great for, for the Revs um, this year. And I think Dallas's midfield right now is, is Kingyon as a defensive mid. And then when he's healthy, um, Cerillo, Cervania, Palmichael, they're all, you know, on that younger 20s side. And maybe they, yeah. they, maybe they feel like they need some more um, veteran-type leadership established MLS player. Um, and maybe Leggett sees that 4-3-3 system, which he's played before, as more of their uh, as as more of what suits him. So you'll play with Ariola and Velasco and Ferreira as a as a front three, um, and maybe it'll be a Leggett Pomical free eight system. You know, like as in the national team with Kingyon as more of the six. Um, I could see it working. Um, I could see why Dallas sees this as an opportunity, and if they had the allocation, um, then it makes sense. Uh, it makes less sense from the refs' point of view, but maybe they just decided that for whatever reason it wasn't a good fit um, for them. So um, not a small move, and I think something that can maybe help Dallas, um, even though it hasn't been uh, Sebastian Legit from a couple years ago right now, um, maybe he gets a little bit revitalized in that in that Dallas midfield. That's the hope for them, right? Because you have those guys, and I wonder if Dallas is seeing some of their kind of their late game collapses, and maybe depth is the issue, and just getting more legs that are is an MLS capable level, um, and getting those legs in there is all that they need really to stop this last kind of like half hour like you know 60 minute minute 60 minute mark on they just kind of sit behind the ball and defend and you know have been vulnerable at times um i I wonder if that's kind of the reasoning behind this move but either way it's a good value move um and stage goal points out i should mention that it was a minimum of 500k in gam rising up to 1.3 based on uh, 1.3 mil that is based on his performance um from the galaxy so I don't know where that total coming in from the galaxy will fall, but I think it is clear that it's a move that, you know, didn't necessarily work out as well for the revs. Maybe they just decided to cut bait because they didn't like the um, space that he was taking up on their cap. And they were basically ready to, you know, call the season a wash maybe at this point. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because yeah. Bruce, Bruce brought in a bunch of his guys Right in Omar and Josie and the Jet yeah. and Emma Boateng, um, and Omar's not playing. Josie's gone to Puebla, which we haven't actually t- we haven't even mentioned. we haven't talked about yet. Um, and, and now the Jet's gone as well. So it, maybe it's recognition from from Bruce that those moves um, weren't you know based on on familiarity on on nostalgia and comfort or whatever weren't working out and it was time to move in a different direction. Um, and I think from Legette's side, you have a bunch of young guys in that Dallas midfield, uh, Ensembling, Cerillo, Cervania, Palmical. Um, you know, Dallas could be seeing production as well as maybe some mentorship there. So I, I think it's an interesting move for both sides. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting move. And, and they, they meaning uh, the Revs, still have a lot of those players that we've, you know, touched on in the past. They still have Tommy Mack. They still have Matt Polster, Trousteson, Cap Toom. 
uh, Dylan Barrero, Heal, obviously. So they still have a lot of those players that are in that midfield that we've seen. So I'm not sure if it's going to be a noticeable difference for them, but it, it is interesting just pointing out generally that Legette's moved on so quickly. And I think we'll close out our transfer talk with two interesting transfers from the union's point of view, neither of which I think will make an immediate impact, but we'll see. Um, the first has kind of already been confirmed. Um, it, union has tweeted out. So at this point it is very much a, a done deal. Uh, they bring in a younger, a 21-year-old defensive midfielder named Richard Odada. He has Kenyan and Serbian citizenship, um, and he played from. I, I don't, I can't pronounce the club that he came from, um, <laughs> but I believe it's a Serbian club. I may be wrong about. It. Yeah, it's a Serbian club. Um, so yeah, a young center defensive midfielder. Um, maybe it's going to be fresh legs at this point in the season, um, given the fact that Flock played a ton of minutes, Bedoya's played a ton of minutes, and maybe give them some rest. Though I'm not sure if they're signing him to make a defensive impact. We'll see about that. That that could be an interesting one to look forward um, to in the future from the Union. And, and just earlier today, Tom Bogert, uh, uh, he's just an absolute legend, uh, tweeted out that um, the Union are finalizing the signing of Ghanaian center back Abasa Ar- Aramayao. Aramayao, I think is how you say it. R-A-R-E-M-E-Y-A-W. He's an 18-year-old center back um, joining on a free from a Slovakian club. Again, looks like one for the future. I don't see Elliot and Glesnitz being overtaken at this point in the season. But two interesting moves from the Union. Andres, I, there, we don't know much about either of these players, so I don't think we can analyze a lot about the players specifically. But do you think that the Union had a reason to make these moves and, and do you think that they're investing in their future with these moves yeah i'm not sure this this is a this season type of type of move or either this season type moves actually it's 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 a little perplexing for me in general i you know more about the union than i do but considering the amount of homegrown young talent that they have guys you know beyond mcglynn um Guys like Quinn Sullivan, guys like Paxton Aronson. Um, it's surprising to me that they're bringing in kind of younger guys from overseas, um, considering how good that academy's been uh, recently. So this would this is one that I, there must be something that I'm missing here as to the reasoning for it or, or what what they're thinking behind it. Um, I don't think it's a this year type of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a little bit confused by it, but. It's good to see them making the investment. Even maybe they're thinking uh, to diversify where their talent is coming from, uh, both on the homegrown side and bringing some stuff in from overseas. Yeah, that's ha- that has to be what I would imagine what it is because these players have played, you know, at you know professional clubs at a young age um, in Europe. That has to be the thought, I think, because even if you look at Quinn, Pax, Jack, they're. They're more attacking-minded midfielders, and it seems like at least Odada is a definitely a defensive midfielder who can has versatility. But is that's basically his position? That's what the Union tweeted out specifically. And um, Aramayo, I think is how you say it, the other center back. Uh, but I could be completely butchering that. Like I said, young center back, eighteen years old, definitely seems to be one for the future. Um, and, and maybe that's partially because Union Two is sitting outside the playoff line right now in MLS Next Pro. 
and maybe they're just the scouts and Ertz Tanner aren't a hundred percent happy with what they're seeing, um, kind of in that second tier level for the union. Um, so maybe it's maybe it's that, but definitely signings that I'll be interested to keep my eye on because those are ones that have kind of hit the MLS transfer market thing um, over the last couple of days, but pretty unknown in terms of their actual impact. So we'll keep an eye on those. And also we mentioned Josie de Puebla. Hopefully he uh, can get back some of those goals that we just didn't really see in new England. Um, Cause when Josie's scoring, everybody's happy. Uh, and that hasn't been the case in a little bit. So hopefully he's good there. Um, that's basically it. Andres jam packed pod, especially with those transfers at the end. Thank you so much um, for joining me. We'll be back next week. Uh, like I said, a packed weekend, 13 games, I believe uh, this coming Saturday. So, so much to talk about as we head in uh, to just some more MLS dog day, uh, you know, summer action. Um, and it's what we all love. So hopefully we'll see you back here next week, but until then enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game. And we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening.